Adiós, acudí, mi angustia escuchó De aguas profundas me rescata Llegó mi clamor a su palacio de cara church. Our passage today comes from Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 17. If you have your Bible at home or wherever you are tuning in, you can turn there or you can read on the screen below. This is the word of the Lord. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. This is the word of the Lord. Well, today is the closing of our annual campaign and series making our house a home. It is pledge day. It is the day where we come together and as we look forward to what God is going to do in 2021 through Crossbridge Brickle, as we begin to pray about how he wants to use our time and our talent and our treasure, not simply for our own benefit in the community, but for the benefit of others as we seek as a church to make our house a home, a place where everyone is invited where nobody is alienated, where people are welcomed in to find Jesus and to find healing. And our passage today, Luke chapter 5, speaks to this, speaks to this type of healing that Jesus offers, the type of home that we want to be, where everybody can come to Jesus. I was thinking this week about an old commercial. You you may remember it. It is the Klondike Bar commercial where it says, 
what would you do for a Klondike bar? And they had all these crazy things that people would do. And it really resonated because Klondike bars, uh, one, are tasty. Two, also because that phrase, what would you do? How much would you be willing to give? How much would you be willing to put in? Is something we think a lot in many different places in our life, right? In our work, we may think, what am I willing to do to get here? Oftentimes, many of us begin to think about and dream about our career and where we want to get to, and we think, okay, what do I need to put in? What do I need to do in order to get to the place that I want to be? You may think about that in in regards to your education. How much work am I willing to put in to learn and to grow into your relationship? What are you willing to do to grow your relationship, to deepen it? And today, the sermon title is, What Are You Willing to Do? How bad do you want it? How much are you willing to give and to put in? And here in this passage, we see some friends caring for their friend, this paralyzed man, who are willing to do anything. How bad do they want it? They want his healing bad. They're willing to do anything for him. I want to give some context here to the passage. So we read about this paralyzed man. Now, the interpretation of that word paralyzed can also mean crippled. And this man would have been, you know, unable to walk as a paralyzed and crippled man. He would have, you know, found it very difficult to find work. But even more than that, he would have been alienated by the society around him. He would have been outcast. He would have been looked over. He would have been left out. In fact, even in the temple or the synagogues, he would have been kind of kept at a distance. Because many people would have believed that this was his fault. It was his own doing. Maybe he did something or there was some reason that God was judging him to give him this life and this circumstance. I was reading this thinking about the context, thinking about how this society viewed paralyzed or crippled people. And I thought to myself, who is paralyzed in our city? Who's paralyzed? Who are those people that are alienated, those people that are marginalized, those people that are left out, those people that are looked over, those people that we look at as a society and say, well, they deserve it. They deserve what they get. We judge them. Who are the paralyzed in our city? Who are the paralyzed in your work? Who are the paralyzed in your neighborhood? Who are those alienated and left? That's an important question just to ask and to think about right there. Who are those people? Because what we see are those people Jesus cares for and he wants around him. He has the power to heal. And those are the type of people that we should be walking alongside of and being friends of and carrying them to Jesus to see their healing. But this man here, though he would have been alienated by his society, He's blessed, and he's blessed because he has great friends. He has friends that really care for him, friends that really love him, friends that have hope for a miracle in his life. See, they hear that Jesus has come to town, and they believe in faith that Jesus can heal. They believe that a miracle can be performed in their friend's life, that he's paralyzed, but Jesus can resurrect his body. And so upon hearing this, what do they do? They, 
they cancel their work plans, they rearrange their schedules, and they go meet their friend in the morning, and they get him, they put him on a mat so they can carry him, and they begin to carry him to where Jesus is. They get to the house where Jesus is teaching, and they run into the first problem, which is it is overcrowded. There is a huge crowd there, Inside of the house, it's full outside of the house and the doors and the windows and they can't get into Jesus. There had to have been a feeling here of how ironic for this paralyzed man. On his way to meet Jesus, when his friends that he's been blessed with are carrying him there, he encounters a barrier, the crowd. I mean, his life has been full of barriers. It's par for the course So, of course, on his way to healing, on his way to Jesus, he would encounter more barriers. But the the barrier between Jesus and this man is not simply the crowd, but it's also the people in the crowd. We read here that in the crowd, actually closest to Jesus, near Jesus, are Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the scribes, the religious leaders of the community. They are close to Jesus. Now, this is the second layer of barrier, not just the crowd, but the people in the crowd, because these people are the very ones that would have set that culture in the society that, hey, listen, the paralyzed are probably judged by God. Something They, they deserve this for some reason. They should be alienated. They should be kept out. When they come to the temple, they should be kept at a distance. The very people that would have looked over and rolled their eyes at this paralyzed man are the ones closest to Jesus. Had to have been a conversation like, this just got more difficult. (laughs) We not only have a crowd in our way, but the very people are near Jesus that don't care for you, have no compassion towards you, and aren't concerned with your healing whatsoever. Barrier upon barrier. Reading this this week, and I was thinking, you know, the phrase, history repeats itself. Certainly, that is true in many ways. History, unfortunately, repeats itself, and I believe history is repeating itself again. We live in a society that is marked as a place where we exclude others. In fact, many communities are, are unashamed of that fact, that this is who we are, and if you're not like us, if you're not like this, if you don't believe this, if you don't think this, then get away. I'm going to alienate you. I'm going to disassociate myself from you. We live in a society of a bunch of communities that are constantly throwing grenades at the other one and putting up barriers between them so that we can all be excluded. We can all be separated. So we have many people in our society that are marginalized and are looked over and many people that face all types of barriers because we have different communities that let certain people in and not others. And I was reading this and thinking to myself, when people look at the church crowd around Jesus, when people look at the church crowd around Jesus, Do they see religious leaders or mature Christians and followers of Christ alienating others, 
and judging others and disassociating themselves with others that are different? Do they feel that same type of barrier? Do they feel that same type of discomfort that they wouldn't be allowed there? They need to be kept at a distance. And I think the answer is yes. The answer is yes. The people in our world and our culture and our society that are those paralyzed people, that maybe they're paralyzed by sin, they're paralyzed by circumstances, they're, they're paralyzed by other people, they're alienated, they're outcast, or maybe they just feel that way in regards to the church. That feeling of religious leaders and, and mature Christians and followers of Christ, and maybe the church itself can become a barrier between people and Jesus because they feel judged, they feel alienated, they feel like they have not been allowed in. I mean, almost every single one of us has had someone say to us before, hey, if I went to your church, would I be accepted? Maybe you've had that happen recently. You've invited someone to join in online. You've invited somebody to come to our in-person gathering. And they've thought, or maybe they've said, am I going to be judged? Would I be accepted? What, what if they knew this about me? If they knew that about me, would they still let me in there? I had a friend of mine that several years ago, uh, we became friends in the co-working space where the off, our office is in Brickell. And we went through this series called Alpha, which is exploring faith, life, and meaning. It's, it's a course that we do every year. We're looking forward to launching it, hopefully in the spring of 2021. We're going through that. She's beginning to ask all these different questions about faith and about Christ, about the Bible. I said, listen, you should come to church. Love to have you. And she said to me, in, in a joking way, if I go to your church it's going to burn down. Like if I walk in, it's going to burn down. Like I'm not, I know I'm not someone that's like accepted. I feel like I'll be judged. I mean, even God, I mean, God will just say like, you're not allowed in here. And she was joking, but we were going to talk about it. And she said, you know, honestly, I have some baggage, I have some experiences with churches in the past, with certain people in the past, and I just don't feel like I would be accepted. I have a lot of discomfort at the idea of going to church. We walked through it, we talked through that, and over time, she and her husband came. They became, began to come week after week, they became a part of the church. But that first Sunday, after we're talking, I'm talking with her and her husband, and she's like, honestly, I felt really uncomfortable. I was just waiting for someone to come up and say, you're not invited in here. You're not allowed to come in here. This isn't for a, pl a place for people like you. See, a lot of people feel like that. A lot of people feel like that. Many of you feel in a similar way. You, you think to yourself, I, I can't let people know what I really struggle with. I can't let people know who I really am. I can't let people know any of my demons or any of my darkness because if people know, especially if the pastor knows or if the leadership knows, I will certainly be judged. I will certainly be alienated. That is a real feeling. There's a barrier 
between Jesus and other people that is perceived, that is felt, that is real in different circumstances, in different ways. And you may think to yourself, well, that's not me. I'm not like that. Maybe that's true in other places and with other people, but not me. I don't judge people. I don't disassociate myself from people. I don't alienate people. I would welcome anybody. I'll be friends with anybody. And that may be true, but there's two things to realize. And that is that if you are a part of the church, then the church's problem is your problem. So if you're a part of the church, meaning you're a follower of Christ, the universal church, even the universal church's problem is your problem because you're a part of the church. And the church has a problem, which is that a lot of people feel alienated. They feel disassociated from. They feel that they're judged. They feel like they're not invited. They're not accepted. And so though that may not be true of you, if it's true of the church, you are the church, and so that's your problem to patiently walk with people, to identify those barriers, and to seek to see them broken down so that people can come to find a home in the church. That's part of what making our house a home is about. It's understanding that a lot of people don't see the church as a home. They see it as a place of judgment, a place that they're not invited in. See, the church's problem is your problem, even if you may not be like that yourself. And secondly, and this is going to be a more challenging thought to consider, but sometimes you can exclude people based upon your position. Like, what do you mean by that? You may not be actively excluding people or judging people or alienating people or disassociating yourself from people, but sometimes you can create a barrier for people and exclude them just by your positioning. You see, when the paralyzed man is brought to the house by his friends, there's a crowd in the way. And then there's the religious leaders, the Pharisees, close to Jesus. They're all focused on what Jesus is going to say. They're listening to him. What truth is he going to give? What, what, what can we get maybe glean from that and apply to our lives as he's teaching and as he's sharing. You ever think to yourself, wait, okay, hold on. I know there's a lot of people there, but there's a paralyzed man on a mat whose friends have rearranged their schedule, have canceled their work, have brought him here. We should just like make a path. This guy obviously needs to come to Jesus who has been healing people and has the power to heal, let's make a path. Just clear a way and they can bring him to Jesus. Why don't they make a path? We'll see in a moment that they have to go on the roof and cut a hole in the roof. See, they don't make a path because their backs are turned. Everyone there, the crowd, and in particular, the religious leaders, they're just focused on Jesus with their backs to everyone and everything else. Sometimes, your devotion can be a barrier. Now, you hear that, you're like, okay, wait a second. My devotion can be a barrier? How, how can my devotion to God be a barrier. See, 
when your faith is focused on your own personal worship and your own personal growth, you can create unintentional barriers for other people. Because when you make your faith all about you, your faith becomes not about others. And that was not the intention of faith. It's not God's desire for how you see your faith. It's not all about you. It is to include others. But when you make it all about you and your personal worship and your personal devotion and your personal growth and and your faith is really simply about you go to church to receive a good message, to receive some worship or to have something for you that will help start off your week, right? Or you begin to instill disciplines in your life so that you can grow and you begin to study God's word so that you can learn more and you begin to listen to other people and ask for advice so that you can improve, And maybe even you begin to engage in activities that are meant to be other-focused, but they're really more about you. So you, you sign up to serve or you serve, but it's more about you feeling authentic in your faith than you serving other people. Or you begin to give, but it's really only because you know it's the right thing to do, not because you're praying over your offering, you're praying over what you give so that God can use it for the sake of others. When your faith is all about you, it's not about others. And your devotion can become a barrier for other people. That's why Jesus, when he's asked by the religious leaders, hey, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus doesn't give one, he gives two. I say it all the time. He says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as yourself. See, if Jesus just said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, we'd be like, great. Okay, my faith is all about me. It's about me growing in my knowledge. It's about me and my relationship with God. We have to be really careful because everything in our world is is telling us that it's all about us. And our faith becomes all about us. It becomes not about others. But Jesus says, hey, listen, the greatest commandment is to love God. It is to worship him. It is to devote your life to Him. It is to learn about Him. It is to grow in your prayer life. It is to to receive from Him. But you got to love others. Loving God and loving others, they're right next to each other. You can't love God and not love others. Your faith isn't just about you. It's also about other people. Don't let your devotion become a barrier to other people. You see, we're to live our life where we're focused on Christ but not with our backs to everyone else. We're focused on Christ, but then we're looking around and saying, who's around us? Hey, is there someone over here that needs to come to Christ where I can help them or I can kind of step to the side so that they can come? I'm focused on you, Christ. I want to learn from you. I want to grow with you, but hey, who's around me? Is there someone in the back that needs healing? Don't let your devotion become a barrier. You see the religious leaders here, the Pharisees, They were just focused on Christ. They had their backs to everyone else. Not just here, but their whole life was about that. Focus on God. Devoted to God. Don't care about anyone else. And they would have been fine if Jesus was a prophet who just came to tell them some some helpful truths they could apply to their life to make their life better or to make them feel more religious. But once Jesus started connecting loving God and loving others, he started to heal people on the Sabbath, He started to spend time with people that they said, it's not okay to spend time with those people. Once he started to love people that they viewed as unlovable, 
He started to declare that people who were viewed as sinners were loved by God and could receive God's grace and their sins could be forgiven. They were not okay with that. They were not okay with paralyzed people coming before Jesus. It's not okay. Their devotion was a barrier, and don't let your devotion be a barrier to other people. See, we're to be people that hope for a miracle. Not just a miracle in our lives, but a miracle for other people. A miracle of healing, spiritual healing, and physical healing. People's faith healed when it's beaten down and when it's hurt and when it's broken. Communities healed. Neighborhoods healed. We're to hope for a miracle and we're to, to, to view that. Have that type of hope and that type of faith for our friends and our family members and our co-workers and our city. And that hope for a miracle should lead us to have faith that believes that miracles can happen. As we see here in verse 19 through 20, it says, but the friends with the paralyzed men, they see the crowd, they see the religious leaders, they got two barriers there. They say, it says in verse 9, but finding no way to bring them in because of the crowd, their backs turned. They went up on the roof and led him down with his bed through the tiles and into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. So they get up on the roof and they, they break through the roof and lower this paralyzed man before Jesus right in front of him. And Jesus says, their faith has brought about forgiveness. Their faith has forgiven. Not just the paralyzed man. But the friends too. See, all of them were hoping for a miracle. All of them believed that Jesus had the power and the authority to heal. And it's, it's interesting, right? Because obviously this man needs to be physically healed, but Jesus addresses their spiritual condition first. And it kind of reads in a way that's confusing because you think, okay, wait. Is Jesus saying that their sins are forgiven because... They took all this initiative and, and brought their friend who was paralyzed before him and they had faith that Jesus could heal. And because of that faith, because of their actions, their sins are forgiven? The answer is no. So here, the use is the perfect passive. So that's for the nerds out there. This is the perfect passive. So Jesus is saying that their sins had already been forgiven. That because of their faith, their sins were already forgiven. And so Jesus here is simply making a declaration of something that was true of them because of their faith. He's saying, I, I declare that your sins are forgiven because of your faith. And when the Pharisees hear this, they're angry. Because who could have the authority to forgive sin but God. Who could have the authority to declare that someone's sins are forgiven but God? And yet, that's what's declared. You see, we see the power of faith here. The power of faith that brings about three healings. The first healing is the one that I said, which is that 
their sins are forgiven. This spiritual condition is forgiven because of their faith in Jesus. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God, has the power to heal, that He is the Savior, and their sins are forgiven. That's the first healing. And the second healing we see in verse 24, when Jesus addresses the Pharisees who are in their minds angry. How could he say this? So verse 24, Jesus says, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. So the second healing, after this eternal healing is declared, the the healing and the forgiveness of their sins and their spiritual condition, Jesus says, so that you know that I'm the Son of Man, that I'm the Son of God, that I am the Savior, I'm going to heal him physically. He says, rise, get up, take your mat and go home. And the paralyzed man, his body is resurrected. His heart and his soul had already been resurrected because of his faith as Jesus declared, but now his body is resurrected and he picks up his mat And he goes home. That's the second healing. But there's a third healing, which is the healing of the misguided faith of this crowd and of these religious leaders. Their devotion became a barrier to other people who had their backs turned to other people. Didn't quite understand who Jesus was, and they get angry when Jesus declares forgiveness to this man. Their faith is healed their perception is healed. What they think of Jesus is healed and made right because we read here in verse 26 that amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe, with worship, saying we have seen extraordinary things today. The crowd, the Pharisees and religious leaders here were amazed have to believe that they were changed, that they had genuine faith now. They understood who Jesus was. They learned a lot about maybe the the deception that they had been living under, that it was just about their simple devotion so that they needed to have their faith on a swivel looking for people around them, that God desires to heal hearts and bodies. And their lives are forever different. You see, something supernatural happened here because faith is powerful. Faith is powerful. Faith in Christ as the Savior and Lord forgives sins. And everyone is welcome. No one is alienated. You are welcome to believe in faith in Christ. God's grace is available to you. It is a gift to you. There is no one that is judged and kept at a distance or told you're not allowed here. Jesus says, hey, I'm here for everyone. I died for sinners. That includes you. That includes me. Believe in me. And I will reside with you. In the book of Revelation, chapter 3, Jesus says that he will come in and dine with you. When the door is open, that knock on your heart, Jesus is knocking. He welcomes everybody. He invites you in to a relationship with Him. Nobody is alienated. 
Everyone is invited. Faith is powerful. It's powerful to heal our eternal state, the forgiveness of sins. It's powerful to heal physically. It's powerful to change perceptions, to awaken you to the reality that you were living not according to the way of Jesus. It is powerful to change. I think many of us think to ourselves, man, I would love to experience some of that. I want to experience great spiritual healing. I want to experience physical healing in someone's life, or maybe you want to experience that in your own life. I want to see perceptions change. I want to see cities changed. And then we begin to think, why don't don't I see that? See, the reason that we don't see God work in supernatural ways in our church, in our cities, it's not because Jesus lacks power. It's because we lack faith. Do we have hope for a miracle? Do we believe that faith is powerful? I'm speaking universally. As a church, universal, but I could be speaking about us too. Do we have hope for a miracle? Do we believe that miracles are are hopeless? Do we believe that faith is powerful to change or is faith simply for our own benefit? Do we see the needs of others so that we can bring them to Jesus and see how he can heal or are our backs turned to the needs of those around us? Miracles can happen and faith is powerful to heal, but you have to be willing to do whatever it takes. What would you do? What would you do? Just thought this week, you know, are, are, are you willing to be done with that mundane Christian life? That Christian life that, that's just, my faith is about me. Because listen, when your faith is just about you and your own growth, you're really worshiping your own ego. Because God says, is love me, but love others. Look for opportunities to bring people that need healing to me. Believe that your faith is powerful. You know that it has changed your heart, but it can change, bring healing. Believe that miracles can happen. Believe that you can be a part of that. Believe. Are you willing to do what it takes? Are you willing to live that way, not seeking to create a barrier, looking for the needs of others? Are you willing to give your time and your talent and your treasure, not just because you know it's the right thing to do? That's when you believe your faith is about you. Are you willing to give your time and your talent and your treasure on that pledge card because you're praying that God would use it for other people? And he might use your time and your talents to serve and and the financial contributions that you give in the next year, your treasure, for other people, for people alienated and outcasts, the people that need to be brought to Jesus so that barriers could be broken down. What would happen if we did that? What would happen if all of us thought like that and lived like that and pledged like that? What would happen? I believe that what would happen is that we would see miracles. We would see lives changed. We would see neighborhoods changed. We would see cities healed. We would see those very things 
that we thought there's no way that could be mended. There's no way that brokenness could be bound up and fixed. We'd see it happen. We really would. And why don't we see it? Maybe because we made our faith all about ourselves. We've had our backs turned to the needs of others. We haven't lived that way, seeing our time and our talent and our treasure for other people. You see, oftentimes what we find in the church is that 10 to 20% of the church does 100% of the work. 10 to 20% says, I want to use my time, I want to use my talent, I want to use my treasure for the sake of this community and for the sake of this city, and I want to give as much as I can. I want to be able to serve with my gifts. I want to do, I want to do that. I want to be a part of it. 10 to 20% do 80 to 90% of the work. But that time and that talent and that treasure that that 10 to 20% gives is limited. What would happen if 100% thought like that? What would happen if everyone thought, no, no, I want, yeah, I want to give the time that I have, the talents that I have, and the treasure that I have. I want to be a part of that. I want this home to be a place where nobody is in the back and is not invited to come to Jesus, where everyone is looking around and saying, hey, we can trade places. You can go closer. I can step back. We, everyone's invited here. Somebody new comes up. Hey, come on in. We see you. Come on in. That's the church. That's God's design for us to be a home like that where 100% of the people are giving their time and their talent and their treasure for the sake of others to make a home where everyone is invited. So no one is burnt out because that's what happens when 10 to 20% of the people do 80 to 90% of the work. See, we are to be like the paralyzed man's friends. The paralyzed man's friends who said, we're willing to do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. They get up on that roof and it says that you know, they went through the tiles and they brought Jesus, they, they brought the paralyzed man down to Jesus. Like, wow, that's great. No, that was a lot. They climb up on the roof. The roof is made of, of branches and logs and, and this mud that would have, would have kind of hardened by the sun over time and would have become like cement. It would have been thick. I mean, these roofs, people, they went up there all the time. They would build little huts up there for the festival of Purim. They spent time up there when it was nice weather. I mean, these are solid foundations, and they're up there with their hands scraping through this concrete like mud and twigs that's almost acting like rebar and they this had taken hours but they're willing to do whatever it takes to break a hole in that roof so they can lower their friend down because they believe that Jesus can do miracles they believe that faith is powerful and they lower him down no matter what it takes are we willing to do whatever it takes even when it's hard. Are you willing to do what it takes even when it's hard? Because listen, we have power because we have the gospel. We have faith in the good news that everyone is invited. We have faith that Jesus can heal anything. We have faith that actually Jesus' promise is that one day he's going to make all things new. And he invites us to be a part of that now. We have power. We have hope that miracles can happen, that healing can happen, but 
we have to come together to say, am I going to do what it takes? Am I going to play my part? Am I going to care for people in that way? Am I going to live like that? Or am I just going to keep living that mundane faith where it's all about me, it's about my growth, it's about what I receive? That's not how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to love God. We're supposed to love others. We're never supposed to have our back to people. We're supposed to invite people in. We're supposed to make our house a home, but it takes all of us. Every one of us giving our time, our talent, and our treasure, not for our own benefit, not just to feel authentic, not because it's the right thing to do, not because I'm telling you to do it, Because we do that for other people. We do that for the person in the other pew. We do that for the person that's tuning in in the, their home that you may not even know. We do that for the person in our city that doesn't even know that they're going to come to Crossbridge in six months. We do that for the person in your office you don't, they don't, that you don't even know that you're going to have this spiritual conversation within three months. We do it for other people. So I pray that you would ask that question. Am I willing to do what it takes? How bad do I want to see it? God do something incredible in 2021. Because I believe he's going to. But it takes all of us to believe that miracles can happen, that our faith is powerful, and to give our time and our talent, our treasure for other people. I pray that you would do that with me. You pray with me. God, thank you for the privilege of being a part of what you're doing. You are doing all of this here in Miami, all over the world. You are advancing your church. You are advancing your gospel. You are healing brokenness. You are in the process of making all things new, which we know you will do because you have promised it. We thank you for the church where we can be together, this diverse community seeking to be united, seeking to be a home where everyone is invited, where healing takes place, where miracles happen, where we see that faith is powerful, where people are willing to sacrifice and to do whatever it takes for other people. Pray that we would be a church where none of us make our faith about us alone, but it is about others. That God, we love you, that we seek to love you individually, but that love would lead us to love other people. That's how we would see our life. That's how we would see our time and our talent and our treasure. Heal our perspective. Renew and refresh our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.